Hi, uh, this is Dr. Mark Blumenstein from Scottsdale, Arizona, and I am here with... Lindsay Bull from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And once again, we are going to be talking a little bit about IOL selection with comorbid conditions, but we're also doing it from this absolutely amazing locale. Yeah, you can't see this way, but there's actually a bunch of sailboats and catamarans and yachts over there. So my view, I think, is even better than yours. I think your view is way better. You know? <laughs> but when we think about that, we want our patients to be able to sustain and have this view for a long, long time. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And comorbid conditions can complicate that, especially preoperatively. So knowing what tests to do and knowing uh, what to look for, I think is really important. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I first started practicing, um, like, you know, just a few months ago, um, yeah, two, almost, <laughs> gosh, it's almost three decades. It's almost 30 years. You're not supposed to admit that. No, I am, I am, because <laughs> I, I think, honestly, when people look at me, they just go, what? I thought it was like four decades, really? Um, is we did not have the technology that we have now. Yes. We were flying a little bit more blind. You were in high school or maybe junior high. <laughs> we, we didn't have the ability to evaluate the corneal surface. Exactly. The orb scan came out, then the very first orb scan, you put fluorescine in and it was this big scan and we really didn't know what we were looking at. We would see patients that had this kind of a regular um, steepening mm -hmm. inferiorly and we're like, it looked like against the rule of stigmatism. Right. And we know now that's like pellucid marginal degeneration. Exactly. We would see patients who had, you know, just not great corrections. And we know now that they probably have like early keratoconus. Yes. And what we can do now is I think we have a better way of forecasting what our patients' corneas or what their, their visual changes are gonna be. And I think that we have to take that into consideration when we start talking about IOLs. I, I completely agree. I mean, can you even imagine practicing now without the topographies that we have available to us, without the OCTs that we have available to us now, and being able to make the same type of recommendations that we do in our practice now versus when we didn't have that technology? Well, I can't imagine because I was there. <laughs> Thanks. Could and you, I wasn't. Could you so imagine? I've been I've been a very very lucky and fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Why don't we just age shame right now <laughs> for all the audience here? You know, I mean, for for me, you know, looking at somebody who has uh, maybe you know a funny looking topography, right, or just a, a regular shape to the cornea, which may or may not be early keratoconus, does that? change the lens selection for you? It will, um, but you know, when we look at the majority of people who are undergoing cataract surgery and we're picking IOLs for, especially with keratoconic-like changes, we expect that those corneas have developed over time those natural cross links. And so I don't expect to see as many corneal changes in somebody who has a few more years under their belt as somebody who maybe is going a refractive lensectomy, might be a little bit younger than the typical cataract yeah. patient. And so my conversation between those two age populations might even be a little bit different. Yeah, I, I see so you, you brought up cross-linking. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I don't think we do enough cross-linking. I don't think so either. You know, I, I think we have one FDA-approved uh, cross-linking uh, procedure here mm -hmm. in the States. Um, I know we're gonna have probably some more. Um, I do think 
it's a it becomes a little challenging just because you know now can you guys do uh, technically in Oklahoma we are allowed to do it yeah. but um, usually the ophthalmologist is doing yeah. it the corneal specialists are doing it because so. the epi off mm -hmm. you know it's, it's a quick procedure but mm -hmm. what you had said before about solidifying the cornea through right. natural cross-linking you know we speed up that process we harden the cornea we stop it from getting to a place where it's going to keep changing I think you know when we start looking at our patients who are going in for cataract surgery, if you have early keratoconus, mm -hmm. then I think that may be a good preoperative discussion to have with these patients. I completely agree. Even combining the procedures, getting that cornea really stabilized where you're comfortable with it before proceeding with cataract surgery, um, a lot of times I think is a really good idea. Yeah, because we, we talked before about like evaluating the ocular surface right. and preparing patients along that journey. I think looking at the cornea, especially a keratoconic, mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, I think we probably would just put in a standard IOL. We'd say, you know what, sorry, you don't get to play with all the cool toys that everybody right. else does. But now I think we have uh, some other options available to them. Do you guys have anything in your practice that you use specifically or? As far as lenses? Yeah. So we we try to use whatever lens we think is going to best fit that patient's right. eye. And so our surgeons aren't limiting themselves to one certain type of lens. It really just depends on who's sitting in the chair and what we think is going to provide the best visual outcome for that patient. And you know, sometimes unfortunately it is just a monofocal or a standard IOL, right. but now we even have pharmacological agents that we can put in to give them some of that up-close vision too. So the conversation has really changed even here in the past several months of what we're able to allow and what we're able to recommend for a patient. Yeah, that's interesting. So you, you're talking about maybe like the meiotics exactly. or even just using the, uh -huh. the presbyopic correcting drops. Exactly. So for somebody who, who has, let's say, an irregular cornea, mm -hmm. They talk to you about maybe wanting to, you know, I, I would love not have to be able to wear glasses right. or contacts right. um, to maybe go with the standard, mm -hmm. even using like a modified monofocal right. or um, the, the Wavefront EDF lens exactly. that they have or modified EDF lens. Exactly. So I think all of those lenses are going to be a great option for those patients, but it really comes down to how much irregular astigmatism they have. Yeah. You know, if it's just a mild amount of irregular astigmatism, that's not a patient that maybe I'm stressing about as much or maybe I'm worried about as much not being as successful with a certain lens. But if there's a large amount of irregular astigmatism, you know, that might be somebody that I'm just going to use a standard lens on, potentially even using a meiotic drop to help them with that close needs because that meiotic is going to help to reduce their higher order aberrations as well. And so you're kind of getting a win-win situation in those cases. Yeah, so you, you bring up an excellent point mm -hmm. that the meiotics actually are almost kind of like an IOL friend. Exactly. They kind of, it, it's interesting because I think, you know, the, the early clinical trials, we, you know, we only have one FDA approved drop right now. And it was mainly done on that 45 or 40 to 55, 55 year old patients. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in this thought process that, that's yes. the only patients. Yes. But their indications are for any adult who has presbyopia. Exactly. And exactly. so, yeah, because I mean, th that when you have a patient, let's say you have a patient, this is off okay. topic now, but you have a patient who has dysphotopsia. Okay. Or so you had, you know, an early keratoconus, they're progressing, yep. they have glare at nighttime. Mm -hmm. What would be, what would have been? your drop of choice, what would you have done for those patients? Or would you have just said, oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, before we would we were just really limited to just generic meiotics. 
potentially in really, really high concentrations um, using them multiple times a day, where now I think we have a little bit more flexibility now that we have something yeah. FDA approved for the treatment of presbyopia. Yeah, I used to use the bromonidine. Uh -huh. I mean, because you know, you get a little bit of that change a little in bit. the hippus. Mm -hmm. um, I would tell patients to turn the light on yep. in the dome of their car, right? Their dashboard light up. Dashboard light up. Dashboard, dashboard mm -hmm. light up's a good Yellow one. tinted glasses at night. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I didn't do that because I cared about my patients. Because <laughs> they'd have to get out of the car with those on. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. Okay. You probably recommend transitions to kids too, right? <laughs> you know, we don't do a whole lot of glasses yeah. at our office. So, luckily I'm not the one that gets to recommend those things. I know this isn't, uh -huh. you know, part of the discussion, but if I can make a PSA, stop giving young kids transitions. Okay? That's all I have to say about that. Okay? But I mean, I'm going to agree with you there. So, I mean, so I, I think, you know, especially with a keratoconic type patient, yes. having a discussion ahead of time, letting them know that there's going to be some, maybe some challenges down the road, we have some options. But I think what I'm hearing you say too is that they're not great candidates for like the um, traditional EDOF lens or the mixed. You know, I would agree with that. They're not great candidates. The trifocal exactly. lens. Exactly. You know, there have been studies that show that those lens may reduce contrast sensitivity a little bit with somebody who already has a large amount of higher order aberrations right. with irregular astigmatism. <laughs> you know, the results, those post-operatively, can be really, really varying. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you're sending a patient into a surgery where you can be confident that you're doing the right thing and that they're going to have a visual, good visual outcome. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I mean, for us, I mean, anything we can do during the surgery or anything we can do ahead of the surgery is only going to help our patients later, which in a small sense, like, brings us to, like, glaucoma. Right. Now, do you guys see, do you, do you have a lot of patients that are, like, on one drop? We do. We have a lot of patients on one drop. We're lucky in Oklahoma because we are allowed to do SLTs. So we have a lot of patients who we've done SLTs on as well. Um, and so our, our glaucoma practice is probably one of the largest areas of our office's practice. And those patients develop cataracts. They do. They so, do. Because glaucoma comes <clears throat> with age, cataracts come with age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, it's, yes, we can't avoid that. Can we, we can't. But you know, mm -hmm. we, we talked earlier about, you know, talking to patients. And for me, it's I, I always akin the aging of the lens to every other part of their body. Exactly. And just getting patients, destigmatizing the word yes. cataract. Yes. And I, I, God, I always was like, to me, like dry eye too. I wish we yes. could come up with different words so people aren't triggered. I, I always tell my patients, as soon as you find your first gray hair and as soon as you find your first wrinkle, the lens on the inside of your eye is changing too. I like that. This is not a just 70 year old plus thing. This yeah. starts happening really probably in your 30s yeah. sometime. Mm -hmm. I, I like how you're making, you're gonna make them go home and hunt for that gray hair. <laughs> for the gray yeah. hair. <laughs> like, Dr. Bull, I found it. The I first, found, my, my first you. gray hair was actually found the day that I did my first PRK case. Not a great day to find your first gray yeah. hair. Right. Uh -huh. you, you don't think that doing your PRK case actually? Uh, potentially. Yeah. It could have, yeah, exacerbated the gray hair. Yeah, uh -huh. I totally think so. <laughs> so, you have glaucoma. We yes. talked about how we have, you know, great or newer type of technology for, for cross-linking patients. Um, we also have the ability to do some things different with uh, cataracts and uh, glaucoma patients. Exactly. So we can kind of do a two-for-one procedure. A lot of times be able to implant a MIG, do the cataract surgery at the same time, kill two birds with one stone that way. Makes for a very, very happy patient. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you said MIG, you're not talking yes. about the, the person who was next to uh, Hannibal Lecter in... I am not, no. Okay. Uh-huh, yeah. You mean minimally invasive <laughs> glaucoma surgery. Exactly. Because okay. <laughs> when I hear MIGs, I just keep thinking, Clarice, what did he say to you? <laughs> 
Yeah, so. <laughs> well, let's not go there. Yeah, I think you, that's taking it too no, far. Yeah, you don't want to go uh -uh, there because no. what he said to her was, yeah, it's just yeah, like no. you shouldn't repeat. Mm -hmm. But so talk to me about how you would talk to a patient about like maybe doing mix. Yeah, so when I have a patient sitting in my office, especially a glaucoma patient, because this is probably a patient you're fairly comfortable with. They come multiple times a year. They're coming in for their pressure checks. They're coming in for their OCTs, their optic nerve evaluations. This is a patient who has become accustomed to your practice, accustomed to, to the disease that they have. And so once they start developing that cataract, and we have that conversation, okay, let's do something about the cataract, but at the same time, we could potentially do something to reduce your IOP as well. Um, patients very, very rarely turn down that opportunity. Um, most patients say, you know, if I'm already having one type of surgery, let's go ahead and let's be able to, you know, treat this other condition that I have that we know is a progressive condition as well. So just, you know, why do it during cataract surgery? So a lot of a lot of with the different stents and things, they recommend that you have to do it during the cataract surgery. Because you're already in the eye, exactly. you've already made the incision. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now I do have a lot of patients who we're doing glaucoma procedures on that aren't having cataract surgery at the same time, but if we're already in the eye, that's gonna reduce mm -hmm. the risk of having to go in for a separate procedure, which ultimately reduces the risk of infection as well. Do, do you recommend any different types or styles of lenses for glaucoma patients? Depends on the severity of the glaucoma. So somebody who has really, really significant glaucoma and maybe just a, a couple of degrees of central vision, it's yeah. probably not someone that I'm going to recommend, you know, a $6,000 lens on. Yeah. Um, but somebody who just has mild, well-controlled glaucoma, I am not going to hold back an opportunity to potentially allow them to see better. Yeah. Which, which kind of to me brings us to like retinal issues. Exactly. Um, you know, we now, do you guys standardly do an OCT? We do. Every single patient who is having cataract surgery is getting an OCT before. What, what kind of specifically are you looking for? We're looking for vitreal macular traction. We're looking for macular degeneration. We're looking for epiretinal membranes. Um, we're looking for anything that can affect the visual outcome. Um, because like I said in a previous conversation we were having, if it isn't diagnosed preoperatively, the cataract surgery or whatever procedure you're doing caused it. Yeah. Um, at least that's how the patient believes it to be. I, I believe it. Um, and so if we can talk about those things with the patient, potentially treat them before going into surgery, ultimately that's going to allow the patient to understand that the surgery wasn't the cause of yeah. the issue. It also, it, it's also another good way of explaining to a patient why they're not a candidate for some technology that they may, or somebody else may have. Exactly. But they're also not limited. I mean, I mm -hmm. think, you know, what's kind of exciting is those patients, because you had talked before about how some of these lenses separate light and changes contrast, mm -hmm. I, I think it's exciting to be able to offer them like a, a monofocal, modified monofocal or the... I agree, I agree. And you know, really it's our job to be able to sit down with the patient, have the conversation of, what does your lifestyle look like? How can we best improve that, make your day-to-day -day easier? Um, and I think we have a lot of technology that we're able to offer patients yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you, you had said it before, I mean, imagine practicing without. But the thing is, is that a lot of us doctors don't practice with. Yes. And so I think, you know, you gotta utilize all the tools that you have in your, your shed, and if you don't have it, refer to surgery mm -hmm. centers or colleagues who can do it, whether it be preoperative or postoperative. Um, I, I think we, we live in a time now where, you know, 
patients are going to get the best right. of, of everything we have. And one of the things that I do when I'm in the exam room is pull up what a normal scan is supposed to look like and then compare the patient's scan to them. Because if you're just showing them their scan, yeah. they have no, we see thousands of these every, every day, right? Yeah. And so they have no idea how theirs differs from the normal. So if you can have them realize and be able to compare the two, I think it makes it more believable, more realistic to the yeah, patient as definitely. well. That's great. Well, thank you. I mean, hopefully you guys will be able to kind of go into your lanes, look at some of these comorbidities and kind of get some uh, good opportunities to help your patients at least manage the disease states they have or at least better get uh, quality of vision after cataract surgery. Thank you so Thanks, much. Lindsay.